0: Welcome to Series 2, Episode 13. In this episode, I chat to Dave Hall, founder and CEO of the Ideas Centre. We talk about how creativity needs to be part of the strategy from continuous improvement to discontinuous improvement, innovation to mindsets, patterning behaviours to unusual and reversal techniques. Dave helps us understand how to move from the world of what is to the world of what might be. Enjoy. welcome to the johnny ross audio experience i'm johnny ross founder and digital marketing strategist of fleet marketing each podcast i'll be bringing you an expert to inspire you to give you some great business growth takeaways and to get you thinking about marketing and the bigger picture of how businesses can improve adapt and grow i look forward to sharing this with you on each podcast so here we go Hi and welcome. Uh, Today I've got Dave Hall with me, founder and chief executive of the Idea Centre. How are you, Dave?
1: I'm very well indeed, very well indeed.
0: It's great to have you here. Uh, Just to remind everyone, we are currently live on LinkedIn, we're live on YouTube, and we are also live in our Facebook group, the Yorkshire Business Club. Uh, You're joining us from Cambridge though today. Uh, Newmarket, is that right?
1: That's right. That's right. I moved house two weeks ago, actually. So I've moved from Suffolk just over the border into East cams
0: What uh, a time to be moving. Know, the move's gone OK, though.
1: It has it has gone really well, actually. Uh, strange all the day, but a whole bunch of hiccups along the way as ever. But, but safely ensconced,
0: all the boxes empty. What's
1: What's not to like?
0: Excellent. And uh, we are also on our podcast. So if you're listening to us, welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, if you are listening or watching us live, you're very welcome to ask questions. Uh, if you've got questions for Dave, we're going to be talking about all sorts of different things today, uh, but a lot around creativity. We're going to talk about patterning, uh, the pattern behavior and mindsets, uh, continuous improvement versus discontinuous improvement, we might get onto uh, innovation and um, lots more. Um, so, Dave, what I wanted to start with, though, is just a bit more about you. And you're a a scientist and an engineer. Is that is that that's your background? Is that right?
1: It is. I I run a company that focuses on creativity and I'm conceivably the least innately creative person out there, quite frankly, as deeply ingrained in engineering and scientific thinking. Um, But I learned learned there's a science behind releasing creativity, which
0: is kind of what we do as an organisation. And 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 just so, so just going back, I mean, you you run a company that was uh, doping testing for um, the horse uh, British horse racing. Uh, really- I mean, how did you how did you even fall into that? What's just talk to me about the the career? Well, the career path is kind
1: of interesting because I started off as a scientist. I was quite good at sciences at school, I suppose. So I went to university and did science and was quite okay at sciences at university. I thought, damn it, I'll stay on and do a PhD. So I became a metallurgist of all things, kind of the study of metals, using some very fancy electron microscopes and all sorts of things. And it was kind of a turning point about halfway through the PhD when I realized that no one was ever gonna really be using the research that I was doing. Fascinating though it was, it really didn't have a commercial application. Um, So on the back of that, I thought, damn it, I need to get out there in the real world. And come the end of the PhD, went to work for one of the companies that made the instruments that I did used during my PhD, if you know what I mean, um, got far more interested in the manufacturing of the product rather than the design of the product. So moved from the engineering department into the shop floor into the manufacturing space, and spent a huge amount of time after that, the majority of my career has been in manufacturing industry. Um, However, along that path, I had experience in both public sector and private sector. And I got headhunted into being chief exec of the horse racing forensic laboratory, because they were looking for someone that had private sector and public sector general management experience, which, which I had. Um, so I was in the glorious role of chief exec of the drug testing company for British horse racing, it was a heady mix of science and sport and, and business, what's not to like, for goodness sake. Um So that's where I ended up. And and after I missed a management buyout of it and under the heading of damn it, thought damn it, I'm not getting any younger. If ever I wanna do my own thing, now's the time to do it. And my deepest passion was all about transformation. Um, So I set up the idea center to focus on creativity as a vehicle to drive the innovation process.
0: Well, I mean, and, and you talk. We're going to talk about uh, how you help organisations break bad habits hmm. um, and, and and really make changes. Uh, and I, I also would quite like to know and quite be interested in which are the sectors, the industries that have some of the worst bad habits. What, what what's your experience there, Dave? Well,
1: and, and we've got to place the, the, the phrase bad habits needs to be placed quite carefully because I'd say it's not so much bad habits as locked in behaviour. So, people get um, comfortable with a way of operating, and those ways of operating get locked inside the organization. Despite the fact the world around them is expanding at an ever increasing rate, and new ways of doing things are coming out, they're most comfortable with doing more of the same as what they did before, for goodness sake. And in terms of which industries or which sectors are kind of most prolific in that locked in behavior, I say there isn't one. Every organization, been around for any length of time and involves a number of people gets locked in a patterned behavior so whether it's public sector or private sector whether it's small medium or large organizations organizations get locked in more of the same thinking Uh, and when they say they want to do things differently they kind of go yeah we need to think differently and what they do because they're locked in is they come up with more of the same thinking and and an example
0: other examples, then, on the flip side of organisations that are good at this, of 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 sectors or industries that are good at this, you know, for example, it, uh, is the digital industry any better? Or uh, I'm just thinking.
1: Well, I, th- I think those industries that are well connected with that environment that's changing around them, that's being being fed by those changes. Um, I, th- I think naturally keep an eye out in that that outside world. I always say. I don't care what your organisation is, whether it's it's small, medium, large, what the sector of the organisation is, someone out there in the world today, even as we slowly come out of lockdown, go back into lockdown, then come out of lockdown again, even under the current circumstances, someone somewhere in the world today, is developing new thinking, new technology, new processes that could transform elements of what any organisation is doing. All we have to do is scan the horizon for all those possible changes. Grab what takes our fancy, implement it, woof, we're off on our next innovation journeys. Digital industries tend to be well connected with that outside world and are naturally scanning it. However, what they tend to do is to scan those sectors of that digital industry that they are increasingly more comfortable with. So, over time, they too will get trapped and miss things out. There'll be new digital media, social media channels that look at, yeah, we're not into that because we're, we're embe- embedded in whether it's TikTok or Instagram or what have you. And here's me using language that I know nothing about because I myself am locked in my own world of the, the past.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. No, it's interesting because um, uh, what makes a good leader one of the things that one of the attributes of that is a is a horizon scanner. Um, I agree. But what you're talking about though is is it, well, you know, uh, is, is not always being with like minded people. Not always being with experts and not that an, an, uh, that you're familiar with. And actually, when you're scanning an, a, a horizon, it's about looking at horizons that you're unfamiliar with. Is that absolutely? And yeah. being connected with external stimuli. I think
1: in organizations, when you've got a serious problem or a serious challenge or a serious strategic decision to make about your direction, what you tend to do is get a group of experts together. And the experts are the creators and the guardians of how you've always done things before, which conceivably are the worst people to be having in the room to talk about what different behaviour you should generate moving forward. What you need to do is to find a mechanism to inject some naivety or some fresh thinking. And it's that cocktail of expertise plus external perspective. The expertise is required to say that's, that's, that's clearly different from what we do. But you know what, I can see how to adapt it and bring it in and move our model forward and deliver a step function change. Leadership, you were talking about leadership, I always think, uh, leadership is all about creating a vision for where you want to get to communicating that vision, and motivating people to to get there. So it's creating a vision, it's communicating the vision, which is a skill in itself, but then motivating people and engaging people to help you deliver it. So waste of time having a vision, but not getting people to come along with it. So being able to articulate the logic behind it, and it needs to be logical to bring people on board is a key element of the leadership process but the vision if you want transformation the vision must involve a degree of step change and for that you need to look outside the organization to get the stimulus
0: so so it's interesting you're talking about motivation there and um is that what you're saying that one of the best ways to motivate teams is actually to articulate as make sure that you can articulate what it is you're trying to to change is that
1: Absolutely. And the benefits of getting there. So, so it's no use saying oh, it's going to be a wonderful. Too many organisations. I mean, I fall into the trap if I if I think about it in the past. I used to stand up in front of groups of people as a chief executive and say, "What we're going to do is the following, and the reason we want to do it is we want to double turnover, we want to triple profitability. Just look how fantastic that's going to be." And the staff had a look there and go, "Well, great. So that's going to improve your pay packet and the bonus and the shareholder value, but what's it going to do for me?" There needs to be an understanding of why people should follow you to deliver this vision. It needs to be explicitly a better place to be for the organization. If it's job security, if it's it's kind of agility, if it's career progression, then as organizations grow and deliver step function change, those are exciting organizations to work with. Um, And the trick for me is to engage the staff to get that excitement. This needs to be seen as an exciting organization. Why would you go anywhere else? Because it's so dull compared with this organization. And that's a leadership skill. And it needn't be a single person delivering it, but across the leadership team, you may have a visionary, you may have a great communicator and a great motivator. That leadership team need to to be delivering the leadership.
0: Before we get uh, deeper into the creativity side, um, and and understanding how it fits with the strategy and 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 how you help organizations do that and and I really want to understand this whole thing between continuous improvement versus discontinuous improvement hmm. I, I just want to go back a few steps though and I just want to understand the the pivot from just a bit more detail about around the pivot from being a scientist and an engineer what what led you what really was the thing that made the change to the ideas uh, center?
1: To, to the generation of the idea center from yeah, where? I, yeah, right. Well, if I go back, there were various key moments, if you like, um, there are probably two or three key moments in my career that, that that involved quite a significant pivot. The first one was halfway through my PhD, I was a metallurgist using electron microscopes, field iron microscopes, all sorts of high vacuum equipment and all sorts of stuff, all very clever, I'm sure. Um, I was sponsored by the electricity board. For my PhD, and I had to spend a couple of weeks with them doing electricity board stuff. And I thought they'd be fascinated by my research because it was just leading edge stuff using all sorts of very clever equipment. They really didn't care much for it whatsoever. Their motivation was to say, Well, you're a metallurgist. We've got a metallurgy problem out there on a power plant. Can you come and help us fix it? So I was out in the car trying to understand. And the pivot point for me was realizing that kind of departure from the academic integrity of of the scientific endeavor if you like versus the practical external perspective that led to me leaving academia to move into industry i then found that i was surrounded as an engineer with developing new instrumentation uh, surrounded by a group of engineers who got very excited waiting for the next texas instrument chip to come out that would transform what they could do in the operation of this scientific equipment meanwhile i was far more excited with why on earth could the shop floor not manufacture the products that we were designing as efficiently as they should be doing? What was holding them back? What was happening in the sheet metal shop? So you'd find me down the sheet metal shop, not sifting my way through the Texas instrument chip catalogue. So that was a pivot into manufacturing. Um, I then inherited a role or inherited, I moved into a role of uh, manufacturing director for an organisation in the oil and gas sector. Uh, We used to make emergency shutdown systems for petrochemical plants. These were huge contracts, um, huge systems, like huge telephone exchanges. This is kind of early 1990s. Uh, the average number of man-hours to assemble and test one of these systems was anything up to 120,000 man-hours, just to give you an idea of scale. Wow. And we'd overrun budgets on every single contract by a minimum of 25% in manufacturing, always. And the role of the manufacturing director was ritualistically to turn up at board meetings every month and get beaten up because we would overrun budgets on every single contract, always. So our, the manufacturing director was the ritualistic lamb to the slaughter. Um, the reason we overrun budgets was clear. It's because if ever anything went wrong in design, in engineering, we'd find that error where we came to assemble and test it. So we had to inject the hours to put it right. And these were big complex systems, they were never going to get it right first time, at least they thought so. So as a consequence, we were always going to overrun. So it was ridiculous. And I stumbled across some management training on creative thinking, and it was kind of weird stuff. But the application of the techniques genuinely transformed the manufacturing facility. We started playing with these techniques and generated ideas the like of which we'd never seen before, but which in retrospect seemed blindingly obvious. We started applying the ideas, and over a period of about two years, we moved from overrunning budgets by 25%, to undercutting budgets by a minimum of 15% by exactly the same budget calculator, based entirely on the injection of these creativity techniques and challenging the thinking. Why wouldn't you take those techniques wherever you go? So I took them into the horse racing forensic laboratory, the drug testing environment, transformed the place there. And when I miss the management buyer, you think, well, actually, why wouldn't I bottle this and find a way of sharing it with other organisations? And that's what we do.
0: It's fascinating how you got how, how you went along that journey um, and uh, and saw the gap. And, it, and, and and when you when you talk about it, it's just so obvious. Um,
1: <laughs> but but it's most- I had never come. I have done a, I've done a lot of management training in my days. I had never seen this stuff explained the way this stuff can be explained. It was always done with an academic input, which tends to make people roll their eyes when it comes to this creativity stuff, because it's just silly stuff. Here we are, we're gonna be hugging trees, tied together with ribbons, sitting on small chairs, behaving like children. No, there's some rationale, some very obvious rationale, which if you can understand it, you can get people on board to use this stuff, and it's transformative. I am not naturally creative, but I'm a practitioner and this stuff works. And that's, that's the bottom line for me
0: in fact in fact what you've just said there you know you're not naturally creative i think i think i'm assuming that must be a a, quite a barrier a lot of the time where people are saying to you you know i'm not i'm not creative i i don't i don't have any creative genes what how do you get past that well my argument is
1: always i think using these techniques with an understanding of why these techniques work um you can enhance the creativity in anyone and everyone So you can always enhance the creativity because it's all to do with what's happening inside your head. And if you understand what's trapping you in conventional and traditional thinking, because people get locked in a way of thinking, once they understand why they're trapped in, you can then begin to explain how they can use these very unusual techniques to escape. That can be logically explained. It always, there's always a moment in the creativity technique where you have to take a kind of flight of fancy because, What we're trying to do is to emulate childlike thinking, not childish thinking, but childlike thinking. And there's quite a big difference. As soon as it's childish, it's silly. I didn't get where I am today by doing silly stuff like this. I've grown up for goodness sake. If you understand that young children are inherently creative and adults are inherently not creative, we are rubbish at it. If we're serious about injecting creativity into an organization, we should look jealously at what makes young children so good at it and inject some of that into our decision-making processes. And all these techniques will only work if you're involving people who are prepared to play. Play is the big differentiator. You tell a group of young children to go play and they will, oh, right, we're off, but well, they'll pick up whatever they come across and they'll play. You tell a group of adults to play and they'll go, how? What's the rules? I need to what are we playing? I mean, I can't just I can't you and I, Johnny, can't just start playing. I need mean, we need to know what the rules are. Get the monopoly out. Let's look at the instructions. And effectively, each one of these creative techniques is like a different board game. And each game has its own set of rules. And provided you follow the set of rules, adults can play and have a whale of a time. And it's I can so play true. and have a great game with a four, five, six-year-old. My grandson's five years old. We can have a great game because we both understand the rules he doesn't need to understand the rules i need to know the rules does that make sense
0: it it, it really doesn't it's it so true because the the amount of times you ask children a uh, a question on how to, how to how to solve something you know they might come up with some potentially silly crazy ideas but at the same time the way they think about things they come up with ideas that you just wouldn't consider uh, absolutely
1: and, and it, so one of the techniques we use just just a little case study if you one of the techniques we use Um, I would recommend any organisation that's serious about creativity, form a relationship with your local primary school. Um, If you've got a problem you can't solve, take it into a classroom of seven-year-olds. Top tip, always get permission from the headmaster or headmistress before you wander into the classroom of seven-year-olds sharing your problems. Um, What you want to do is get permission. Schools love this sort of stuff because what you're going to do with the classroom of seven-year-olds is tell them you need their help. Because we as adults are rubbish at creativity, and they're brilliant at it. So it builds self esteem. Schools love it. What you do is explain your problem to the kids in terms they can understand. Break them into pairs, give them pens and paper, ask them to draw solutions to your problem. So you need to explain it in terms they can understand, take all the corporate speak out of it, ask them to, to draw pictures to explain how they're going to solve the problem. Trust me, you give them the pen and paper, break them into pairs, the room takes off. If this was adults you'd have to give them the rules of the game they're not only children they it off you have to wander around to keep an eye on what they're doing because you need to understand what they're drawing give them 10 minutes at the end of 10 minutes every pair will have drawn a picture of how they would solve their problem in terms that are meaningful to them we look at it as adults and go this is bonkers it doesn't really matter what they've done is come up with effectively metaphors for what you need to do as an adult to solve the problem if they've come up with an idea that you've never thought of before um, but which is impossible to implement young children are brilliant at creativity uh, but they're rubbish when it comes to application uh, we are brilliant at application but we're rubbish at creativity so if you get children to generate the creativity effectively every drawing is simply a metaphor for something in the real world and our job is simply to translate that metaphor i had if I can give you an example of that. Um, We had a did this in uh, Dartford, uh, the Innovation Centre in Dartford, and we had a a business there that was um, selling educational training packages to primary schools, uh, to teachers, and what have you. And they were struggling uh, with getting sales getting purchase within the within the the sector. We said, right, fine, if you look out the windows of the Innovation Centre, there was a primary school see it. So we invited them in for half a day, uh, for an hour, sorry, we invited them into the innovation centre for an hour. Classroom of seven year olds, just the seven year olds. Uh, we had whiteboards, so all the walls were whiteboards. So it was like a child's dream, quite frankly. We told them the problem. We said, look, imagine you have to explain it in terms they could understand. So we said, imagine you're going shopping with one of your parents at the weekend, and they're dragging you around the same old, same old boring shops, same old, really tedious, boring shops, and you've been dragged around and you're bored, silly. What would happen? What would have to happen in one of those shops to get you excited, to make you really, really want to have whatever's happening inside that shop? What would make you go, cool, I need to have that. So you would kick and scream as you were dragged outside the shop because you want that thing. That's how we explained the problems. That was the metaphor for how we wanted the school to behave with this proposed contract for training, if that makes sense. And uh, we wrote them into pairs and they were all off and we had self replenishing ice cream being developed over here. There's always some loom band stuff around the place. I saw watch one boy and girl and uh, the boy just stood against the whiteboard wall. And he said to the girl, draw around me. And I saw her go what? He said, Well, just draw around me. So she drew took a pen and she did a very poor outline of this little boy, Alex. And he stepped off and goes there again. Go. And he wrote his name next to it, Alex. And uh, I went over and said, uh, so what are you doing here? So what's this about? He said, well, if I walked into a shop and there was a life-size model of me in it, I would not want to leave that shop until we bought that life-size model of me. And (laughs) you actually, there's a life-size model of me in a shop, i'd want to buy it how cool would that be sat in the lounge i mean it's fabulous it was just this whole concept just brain explodes of course that would engage it's a life-size model of you why would you want to leave that was the novel idea that the, the different idea but it was difficult to work out how to apply it and the job of the adults then had translated and we said thanks very much to the kids the kids all disappeared we, we Got, got the company together and said, well, how are we going to translate this? And what they were doing, it turns out, was just generating boilerplate proposals that were using old templates. And we said, no, no, no. This was um, this was uh, this was weird recognition was was the word here. It was that kind of weird recognition. That's a life size model of you. What you want when it, when, it, when a when the head 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 picks up your proposal is you want them to go, this is us. Because it needs to be so carefully tailored so that the recipient goes this is brilliant and forget the rest they don't understand us look at this everyone and that kind of freaky recognition was what you had to build into every single proposal which is what they've gone away and done born entirely out of the input from that little boy and girl doing an outline of alex on the on the whiteboard wall freaky recognition was the key expression that was the turning point does that make sense Can you see how that works
0: yeah i mean it, it, it's uh in sales it's a mirroring technique isn't it uh we all it's, know
1: but the, but the it, is, it is it is like mirroring but it's freaky recognition was the distinguishing
0: feature because freaky mirroring oh, what you certain- no, what you've described is taking it what a step further um what i'm You're what right. i'm talking about is is the foundation uh, is 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 mirroring, um, yeah. and um, and it, and 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 that's that's I guess what w- what you talk about, and it actually leads it on nicely to you talk about the world of what might be in the world of what is, and and I guess the world of what is for me would be uh, mirroring and thinking how could we exactly. bring mirroring into it? What you've done with the world of what might be is is actually taking that up a, a huge level to exactly. this freak to this freaky, uh, right, right. Uh, you know whatever 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 you call it. Uh, uh, freaky level um let's can you just talk to me more about this um, world of what is and world of what might be
1: sure uh, the world of what is is basically how we do things around here um we all make sense of our worlds by effectively looking backwards um if you've got a problem and you're going to solve a problem the first thing you're always going to do is look backwards because you're going to look at your past experience your knowledge your training your education your scan your past um, to see if there's anything in there that can have an impact on today's issue so what you do is you look back You scan your past, grab what you think is relevant, apply it to today. That then determines your future behavior, which effectively means your future behavior is massively conditioned by your past experience. And in an organization, if you repeatedly look back before you decide what to do today, your behavior becomes incredibly conditioned It becomes the way we do things around here. There's a pattern for every organization and how it operates. And there's merit in that because it creates stability because everyone in the organization knows how we do things. That's your world of what is. And we get trapped in that world by convention and tradition. If you want to do things differently, if you want to innovate, you have to escape that world of what is. And to escape the world of what is, you cannot use conventional and traditional techniques. You have to use unconventional, untraditional techniques, i.e. weird. And these creativity techniques are perceived as being weird, simply because they're engineered to help you escape from the world in which you're trapped. So who would normally go into a classroom of seven year olds to try and solve a business problem? Well, those that want to drive innovation would do because young children don't have a world of what is. So they're, they're completely liberated. The world of what might be is basically everything that's outside your world of what is and we have an ever-increasing gulf between the world of what might be and the world of what is because the sum total of our collective past experiences are tiny compared with the sum total of everything that's known out there in the world and that what's happening out there in the world is increasing at an exponential rate and so what we need to do is to understand that and understand how to escape demands those creativity techniques so what we're trying to do, but only when you want to do something differently. If you want to do more of the same, if you want to take that world of what is and incrementally make it better, that's what continuous improvement is all about. And we use conventional and traditional techniques to achieve it. But if you want to escape and have some of that world of what might be, which is something completely different, then you need to use the unconventional and untraditional techniques to escape. And that's, that's the key that drives the creative process
0: it's it it, it 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 it's mad how people don't realize that they're stuck in that world and, and we're forever talking about stepping outside the box but um probably but we don't, we do, it. We don't it. do it yeah yeah and,
1: and, and arguably the more senior individuals we get involved the more substantially they're locked in that world of what is because they're the creators yeah. and the guardians of the world of what is yeah. So when we get the best people, the most senior people, and you say, hang on, you need to think differently. They all go, yeah, yeah, we need to think differently. But they're trapped. They come up with more of the same. And if you say, well, you need to use some sort of bonkers weird technique, they go, I didn't get where I am today by playing those silly games. That's just, why did I go to primary school? Why should I do that, for goodness sake? I didn't get where I am today by doing that. And they dismiss it. And what they're doing is condemning the organization to more of the same. Playfulness is key. Playfulness is key. Five-year-olds, by the way, if you go into a classroom of five-year-olds, issue there is you can't keep their attention span um so so there's an issue with attention span there 10 year olds too old because even at the age of 10 their world of what is is sufficiently constrained that you massively limit the creativity we lose creativity at a rate of knots as we grow up um and what we need to do is kind of harness harness that behavior
0: these techniques replicate that childlike thinking you talk talk about the Continuous improvement versus discontinuous improvement. That's fully related to what we're talking about, really. Is is that right?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Continuous improvement, the joy of continuous improvement is the simplicity of the concept as far as I'm concerned. Basically, what you're doing with continuous improvement is trying to harness as many ideas as possible on how to make whatever world you're trapped in a better world. So in your organization, what we want is incremental improvement. We actually say it's incremental improvement. What we want to do is to make it better. And if we get enough ideas together on how to make it better, then we can make a substantial change. But you need lots and lots of small incremental changes. That's continuous improvement. It is a wonderful thing. It is a cultural transformation, because you want lots of ideas, you want everyone involved. Brilliant. But every now and then the leaders in an organisation should recognise that simply doing continuous improvement is just incrementally improving the old the same old, same old world. And what what they might well recognize is they need transformation. And organizations talk about transformation and then describe a continuous improvement program, just hoping that someone comes up with a killer improvement that will smash the world of what is. But why would they? Because everything is consistent with the world in which they're trapped. What you need to do is use techniques to help you escape from the world of what is, to go in pursuit of a parallel universe where somewhere there is a world where things are transformed but it's a very different world. It's not a better world. It's a different world. And you do not need many of those step function changes to to transform an organisation. In a year, if you had two or three key transformations in most organisations, that will be truly revolutionary. If you don't need many of them, you don't need everyone involved. And it's a leadership role to choose them very carefully. So the leadership should decide where you want that role, that transformation to take place. And when I say leadership, anyone in the organization can be a leader in their function, they should decide where they want the step function change. There will not be many in a year. They then have to use techniques to help them escape from the world of what is to access that new world, then get people excited about following them to deliver that new world. That then is transformation. It's discontinuous improvement, not continuous improvement and um, too many people get confused between those things what they think is that innovation is driven by a super continuous improvement program we have a suggestion scheme we've got a box that people put their ideas in all we're doing is waiting for someone to come up with a <laughs> idea that Why would
0: the, do that? the idea
1: Why would they, in fact the leadership team with a father with a smug, self righteous view, say, we're, we are actually our culture is fab, what we're doing is waiting for everyone else to come up with the ideas that will transform our business. What? <laughs> you only need two or three ideas, choose them strategically, for goodness sake, this is top down, not bottom up. So yeah. continuous improvement is bottom up, the best people place to identify how to improve things are the people doing the work. So they're best place to identify how to improve what they do and to implement the idea. Step function change is different, it needs leadership. Someone has to have the vision to say we need to do this differently and this is how we're gonna do it differently. Now, everyone follow me, forget the old way, we need to go to here. That's, That's leadership, that's top down, not bottom up. What you need ideally is a mix between the two so that over time you end up with a continuous improvement profile so you end up with continuous improvement then a step change then continuous improvement then a step change that's the magical split that you're looking for
0: yeah i like how you're talking about having that blended uh version where where you've got both yeah
1: but the brain has to work differently people think they can use continuous improvement techniques to deliver step function change they can't because this because the techniques they're using are consistent with the world in which they're trapped you have to use techniques that are inconsistent with our world.
0: Weird. You, you, well, you, you've mentioned the word weird again there, and I was going to talk about some of the, the weird, unusual <laughs> techniques. Um, there's a, a an example. I don't know if this is the one of the most weirdest or unusual ones, but it's an example of a technique. It's the reversal technique that you use. Wow. Um, and the and and there was a this was around uh, budget for replacement glassware in the in the laboratory. I I've 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 heard you talk about this story, and I'd, I'd just let, like to uh, for you to share that with people that are watching right now or listening, uh, yeah, and tell cool. us a bit more about that about that story. Oh, well, this is um,
1: this was the first technique I ever applied when I was chief exec of the drug testing company for British horse racing. We do all the horse racing, all the greyhound testing in the UK for an animal race anywhere in the UK, the end of every race a blood or urine samples taken It would end up at our lab for analysis. So it was a, a laboratory that was full of civil servant forensic scientists, kind of a rabbit warren of laboratories, lots of glassware about the place, blood and urine samples would tip up in the morning, uh, we do the analysis. Uh, and the next day, more samples would tip up. I discovered quite quickly, the organisation was losing money, it was operating a deficit. And I was looking at the management accounts, and there was a line item for replacement glassware and it was two and a half thousand pounds a month. Not a massive sum, but it was enough to raise my eyebrows and go, I don't understand what that's for. So it was a replacement glassware budget for two and a half thousand pounds a month. And I said to one of the uh, senior forensic scientists, one of the managers, I said, what's this? What's what's this about, this budget? And they said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the end of every day, we got lots of dirty glassware. So we have a technician that comes in. uh, And what she does is she wheels a trolley around the laboratories and all the dirty glassware is put on the trolley she then wheels it across the the car park and behind the stable block we have horses on site behind the stable block we've got an autoclave machine she puts the dirty glassware on the autoclave machine to wash it disappears for dinner comes back about half past eight all the glass is now clean she puts it back on the trolley wheels it back across the car park and distributes it about the place and she said and and said and, and 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 that's what we do it it works brilliantly well so i said fine but why the replacement glassware and she said well When you put the glass on the trolley, it tends to chink together. Uh, And certainly when you take it across the car park, which is uneven, um, you end up with with chipped and broken glassware. And the technician doesn't know that she circulates all the glassware back into the laboratories and you tip up the following morning and find you've got glassware you can't use because it's chipped or cracked. So not a problem that we've got an arrangement with a local glassware manufacturer, which is basically if you arrive at eight o'clock in the morning, if by half past eight, you've assessed your glassware, you contact the glassware manufacturer and say look we need replacement glassware of the following types by nine o'clock you can have replacement glassware on site cost of that was about two and a half thousand pounds a month and it was presented as a solution not a problem and i went we need to think differently about this because this is just as a matter of principle this makes no sense we ought to be eradicating that budget um so i got a group of people together and this was an ideal opportunity to use some of these techniques and we used the reversal technique and The initial problem we were addressing was how to reduce the amount of money we spend on replacement glassware. Um, What we did first of all was to reverse that problem statement, but not just reverse it, we reversed it and then magnified it. So we reversed it and made it bigger. And we ended up focusing on the way this technique works, trying to solve the following problem, which was in what way might we guarantee that every single piece of glassware that ever goes for washing will always get smashed and then lost that was the brief so it was forget trying to improve something what we're now trying to do is to make sure this was the worst conceivable outcome which then distracts everyone because no one has ever tried to solve that particular problem ever before so you're very specifically engineering it. So not trying to solve the forward problem, what you're trying to do is to solve the reverse problem statement. But it's not the equal and opposite. It's actually magnified and it's huge. And what we did was we had some brainstorming around this. Um, but because it's bonkers, it's just a ridiculous problem. statement. simple seven forensic scientists are never worried about this. We eventually came up with a brilliant solution, which was to employ Mrs. Overall. Um, I'm not sure if you remember Acorn Antiques. There was a a Julie Walters character. She used to be the coffee lady, a tea lady, and the joke was she couldn't hold the tray steady. So she always spilled the tea and coffee. And we thought, well, she'd be perfect as the technician to jiggle the glass about the place. We'll give her a supermarket quality trolley with a dodgy wheel so it was all over the place. Uh, We made sure she came in in the middle of the night so she had no idea where the light switches were and she had to pop around (laughs) in the dark to increase the chance of spilling the glass everywhere. She'd pile the stuff on, she'd take it across the car park. We invoked the spirit of it's a knockout then. We tied her to an elastic bungee and greased the path. We employed people to throw buckets of water at her as she tried to get her way across the car park to the autoclave machine. This was bonkers, (laughs) guaranteed she would never get across without glassware going everywhere, smashed. In true it's a knockout fashion, she'd get shards of glass to the, the autoclave machine. And she, somehow she'd wash and she'd stumble back into she had no idea where they went so she just guaranteed we'd be spending a fortune on glassware every single day brilliant solution to the negative problem statement the trick then is to say right fine that would definitely solve that problem so what is the what are the characteristics of that idea that make it work I'm just turn that off sorry, forgive me what are they, what are the characteristics of that idea that make it work it definitely solves the negative problem but why and what we said was it was the journey from hell it wasn't a bad journey it was a journey from hell it could not have got worse and she had zero empathy with the laboratory not not a little it was zero empathy. she had to fumble around that she had no idea it was just bonkers so we had zero empathy journey from hell Now the trick is to reverse that set of characteristics. So the reverse of journey from hell became journey from heaven. The zero empathy became total empathy. All we had to do now as adults was to find a real world solution that involved the journey from heaven, and total empathy with the laboratory. And so that's, we're good at solving that kind of problem. So we knew the characteristics we were looking for, it took us about five minutes discussion. And within two months of that, we'd had board approval to spend £10,000. That's all, £10,000, installing glass washing capability into every single one of the laboratories. Journey from heaven? Well, of course it was. The glassware never had to leave the laboratory. Total empathy? Well, of course it was, because the people loading the glassware were the people who were going to be using the glassware the following day. It was their glassware. Perfect solution. Cost £10,000. Instantly, the cost of replacement glassware went down from two and a half thousand pounds a month to less than a hundred pounds a month, forever. And that was done about 16 years ago. So you got 16 years of monthly two and a half thousand pounds savings based on a one hour creativity session, simply questioning what was taken for granted for the prior 38 years. So 38 years of spending two and a half thousand pounds a month when they didn't need to, simply because they were trapped in one way of
0: thinking. So, and, it, and it's brilliant Watch because it it, it, <laughs> it totally works, and it's brilliant because you 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 used you said the word, and I, I was surprised you said it. You used brainstorming, but actually, you'd never advocate brainstorming unless it was with an unusual technique. Absolutely,
1: <laughs> absolutely. So we're brainstorming, but we're brainstorming to solve a bonkers solution. Normally, you have to yeah. tell people to think outside the box, yeah, the and they come up with more of the same. There's another technique we use: superheroes, where we give everyone a superhero card. And on the superhero card is a characteristic of a different superhero. So if you're Captain America, there's your Captain America skills, if you can see that kind of vaguely, you have to brainstorm solutions in the style of your superhero. Superheroes can solve any problems. So superhero, brainstorming is traditionally a poor creativity technique, but if you embed it in a creative approach, transforms it. Every superhero solution is simply a metaphor for something in the real world. So if you've got a Wonder Woman solution, she can solve anything if she solves your business problem, what she's done is simply a metaphor for something in the real world. Skill is to convert the metaphor into something that you need to do differently. Can't fail, I promise you can't fail, provided you follow the process.
0: We've, uh, we've got uh, uh, people Writing comments. Uh, thank you if you're listening. Uh, it's great to have you here. Dave was just holding up some superhero cards, by the way, uh, which you wouldn't have been able to see. Um, and uh, for people that are watching right now and 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 alive, uh, you're very welcome to ask questions. Willow uh, Colios asked: uh, Is the suggestion box also about filtering and moderating out the risky step changes? Well, absolutely. So
1: I, I think it's not about it. It's about it's a. Filtering out the risky concepts is a natural consequence of being trapped in the world of what is, because what we do is we all sit in our world of what is, generating ideas on what we can do differently. Someone has to review all the ideas, and if the ideas that are generated are not consistent with the way we normally do things, we consider it to be too risky or just bonkers, quite frankly, so we dismiss it so that world of what is acts as a natural filter anything that is then not consistent with the way we do things around here is clearly not appropriate for us so we tend to risk we tend to we tend to dismiss it what you often find with these creativity techniques is the ideas are different but the risk is minimal because what you're doing is overcoming mental blocks and in retrospect invariably the creative solution you generate in retrospect seems obvious but only in retrospect With foresight, you don't see the solution because you've got a mental block in the way. These techniques help you overcome the mental blocks. And in retrospect, the answers look obvious. Minimum risk. All the transformation work I've got involved with, I reckon we took very, very few risks. But conventionally, the whole approach will be seen as too risky, which is wrong.
0: Thanks, thanks for your question, Willow. Uh, things that I didn't uh, have time to talk to you about because we are running out of time here, Dave. But um, you're a, uh, a runner and a cyclist. You ran from, uh, you've done uh, cycling from John O'Groats to to London. Is that right? Oh, that's right. One. Yeah. Sorry, almost, a couple of times. Actually, a couple wow. of times. Wow, yeah, run it. I was going to say I've never run it. I've no. <laughs> and, and, and has lockdown been able, given you time to have more fitness or or is yeah, that well, strangely so i don't
1: think I, the dogs have never been more walked as a result of lockdown and what have you and have had time to get out and, and, and do some running and what have you so've uh, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a very healthy time um if difficult in in many different ways. Um, what it's forced people to do of course is think differently. Uh, because the world of what is, is the old way we do used to do things. And people often say, well, I hope it returns back to normal. Back to normal is back to the old way. What we need is a new way of doing things. What I need to do is to make sure that that fitness, that that walking of the dogs gets fed into a new model of my future, um, which it will do. It will do. Well,
0: what, what you say is current circumstances help us understand how pattern behaviours uh, are are not right, or uh, uh, going against well, they're, limiting. they're limiting,
1: because because you believe it's the only way of doing things. So we'd like it to get back to the, the way it was, because that's more comfortable. People also talk about the new normal, and what they mean by the new normal is, well, that's the way we used to do things, this is the way we're going to do things now, so let's forget the old way, and let's just at least just keep it like this. All you're doing is creating a new pattern trap that will limit your behaviour moving forwards. What we need to learn is the need to dynamically challenge and, and introduce new thinking into our organizations on a continuous basis, rather than getting locked at various points in time.
0: It's clear that creativity needs to be part of the strategy, uh, and it's it's also clear that we need to think uh, very differently about how we do we, we inject that to creativity. Uh, I don't know if you if you like that word or not. The inject the scientist uh, bit. Uh, I no, know I, I like. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, if. I was just going to say that um, if uh, people listening, if you're watching, if you're a, a senior leader, board level, HR director, an MD or an, an ops director, and, and you think that your organisation has got bad habits, uh, now is certainly the time to be changing them. Uh, Dave, wh- how would they be best contacting you?
1: Easiest way is probably via the website. I mean, two things. The website is www.ideascentergroup.com. So that's ideascentergroup.com. Uh, or if they want to send me an email, it's just d.hall. That's for David Hall, d.hall at ideascentergroup.com. If you just want to get in contact, I'm more than happy to have a Zoom and show them through the, the, the process and the techniques. So much easier doing it online um, than it will via a telephone call, but I can take whatever media they choose.
0: I've really enjoyed this conversation, uh, and I'm sorry that it's come to an end, Dave, but um, I, I love the, the the weird and wonderful and unusual uh, stories and, and words that we've been using. Uh, and it's it's really fascinating, and, and, and it really has changed the way I think about creativity. Uh, and I must admit that uh, that, that in, in many of the companies that I've run in the past, uh, creativity would be around, right, let's all get in a room and start brainstorming. And I think it, we need to think differently absolutely
1: absolutely and it's been a pleasure So well, thanks john
0: thanks for uh for joining us thanks for listening and if you've been watching uh please do uh like subscribe uh share tell your friends and come back for more next time dave thanks again uh and we will see you or hear from you all soon take care you've been listening to the johnny ross audio experience thanks so much for joining me If you want to continue the conversation, head over to my website, fleek.marketing, or find me on LinkedIn. That's all for today. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, tag me in your social media posts, and please leave me a review on iTunes. It will make a huge difference for me. I will see you soon.